Well, good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Bible Quest, the Tuesday edition. Uh, I'm your host, Jonathan Sadler. So uh, today we've got Scott Smelser with us. How are you doing today, Scott? Doing well. Uh, fifth person with us today. You want to introduce our guest today? We've got a special guest today. I have known him since 1959, uh, except I don't remember that, but could remember it because it's my dad. And uh, really glad to have dad with us. And last week, uh, we were talking about maybe doing this, and I asked the guys uh, for maybe a question that we could uh, present to Dad and discuss, and Justin had one, and I mentioned it to Dad. I think it's a valuable topic for us to consider in different angles, and we'll be listening to Dad's thoughts on it. We'll be asking for your comments and your questions, and we'll be interacting on this. And Justice, why, Justin, why don't you introduce for us the topic that we're asking Dad to uh, help us talk about today? Yeah, so I was uh, having a conversation with some, some other Christians here recently, and a really important conversation. It was uh, someone suggested uh, a concern. Uh, there was a concern that somebody else would share with them. They said you know, that the church is dying. Uh, and they were really concerned with the future of the church. They saw evidence of congregations shrinking in size and kind of the, the pinpointed problem that they saw was that we're, we're losing our young people. Um, and I, I just mostly listened in on this conversation, um, but it got me thinking and uh, Brother Dale, I'm, I'm curious what you think about that. First, I'm, I'm curious just for a basic response to these ideas that um, you know, the, the church is dying. That's kind of the concern or that we're losing our young people. So one, is that true? Do you see some concerns for that? And then if it is, um, you know, what, what, what should we be doing about that? You know, from where we started, if you go back to the institutional controversy in the 20th century, we started with smaller churches. And I think that group of brethren are not seeing a large reduction. Um, I know we're not in the Northeast. We certainly started smaller here in the Northeast and now we've got a multiplicity of new churches up here. And I'm seeing growth, I'm very encouraged. Um, Ed Harrell said, the brethren who were taking that scriptural stand, if you look at the whole, what's considered restoration movement from the early 1800s, all the way from um, all the group part of the Christian church that doesn't believe anything anymore, disciples of Christ, all the way down to some very limited people, that this group that fought that institutional battle is the fastest growing group out of what people look at as the restoration movement. So I'm, I'm, I'm just really wholly positive. Do I see faults? Yes. Can we do better? Yes. Uh, have we lost some ground culturally? Probably so. Um, because of what has happened in the culture, we may not have grown as we might otherwise have. And I pray that things will change that in the United States, for instance, people's hearts will turn back away from the things they just tolerated and accepted to go along and begin to look for righteous and holy things again and for God to be able to bless us. Well, he's able, but he'll bless us when we turn our hearts back to him. So I've got mixed thoughts about all of that. When I look at what we're doing and what's happening up here, I'm really happy. I see some churches in the South that are in pretty good shape. I see some churches all over that are just not what they ought to be, but our prayer is they'll grow and do what they ought to do. As far as young people, 
yes, I, I see some things that concern me there. But on the other hand, I see young people coming out just full of faith and, um, and zealous. So it's not all dark, I don't think. When you hear a statement like the church is dying, um, I just I mean, it's hard not to respond emotionally to a statement like that. But uh, my, my thoughts go to Matthew 16, where Jesus said, I'm on this rock, I'm going to build my church. The gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Um, I don't want to have a cavalier attitude toward uh, God's kingdom and the, the waning, what could be the waning of, of his kingdom. Do you have any thoughts about how does Matthew 16 uh, intersect with what we're seeing uh, well, his, currently? Yeah, his, his church is not dying. There may be some that are losing. There may be some that are falling away. But I, I really believe, I, I just really optimistic. When you look at what's happening in India and in some places in Africa and in the Philippines and some other parts of the world, the gospel is really spreading. And, and when a person says the church is dying, I kind of wonder if that's no, not more reflection of his own local experience and what he's familiar with rather than looking at the big picture and, and what is happening. When, when I look at you, you young preachers and how many young preachers there are, I can remember back in, I can remember way back, um, I knew most of the preachers. I could call most of them by name and I don't even know a tenth of them now. I don't know if I know 1% of them now with all the preachers that have come along and especially young preachers and see their faith and their zeal. Um, I, I just refuse to feel bad about that. I don't think the church is, the church is not dying. There may be some people that are dying, but even then uh, there've always been apostasies. There always will be. And I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of feeling good about what I see. You know, if we think about revelation chapter two and three, the letters to the churches, mm -hmm. uh, if you're at Sardis, guess what? Your church is dying. <laughs> if you're at Philadelphia, guess what? You know, you're, you're, you're doing great in, in Smyrna. And so just like back then, there were lessons to learn from the churches that were dying and lessons to learn from the churches that were doing well. Today, there's, you know, lessons. How can we maybe avoid some of the things that cause some churches to die and how can we uh, benefit from some of the things that cause some churches to grow um, and that's i think it's an excellent question and dale maybe you've seen congregations like this where the average age is 55 60 65 uh, it's like we're losing a generation and maybe there are some grandparents bringing some grandchildren with them, but it's like they're our generation, you know, the, the 20s, 30s, 40s. Um, now, I also go to other like my my local congregation here in Philadelphia. I wish our average age were a little higher. Uh, we've got a lot of young people. So what are what are some pitfalls to avoid? Well, just what you said there in, in some of these churches here there are a lot of young people are there some that i am concerned about and i don't know that it's so much we're losing the young people a lot of times the young people there have been converted and they've moved off elsewhere and they left an older congregation and they need the young people there but i think the problem is we're not gaining as many young people 
as we have in the past. I think that's that's a bigger problem than losing. Are we losing some? Yes. Let me complain just a little bit. I think worldliness, I think the culture, I think peer pressure is working on children. And, and we can talk about that. It's working on young people. And sometimes in young people, I don't see the idealism I would like to see in them and the devotion really to God. Maybe it's a devotion to one Lord, one faith, one baptism. That's necessary. And, and I would not discourage anybody preaching on that. It needs to be preached on. Sometimes I think maybe we don't preach on that enough in some places. But we've got to develop, first of all, everything begins and ends with God. We've, we've got young people are idealistic and we need to impart God and who he is and what he does to them. And once we can get that and appreciation for his word, everything else I think will fall in line. But I, I didn't know whether to mention this or not, but I will. Just my contact with some students at Florida College. I know there are really a lot of great people down there, a lot of great young people down there. But at the same time, from their conversations and what they talk about and what they tell about some of the students there, I'm concerned. And I'm not blaming the school on this, they have to take who they receive. But I, I think in some places, their parents that are not doing what they need to do, there are probably some preachers that are not doing, some churches that are not doing what they need to do in developing faith in these young people. So I've expressed optimism, but, but do I see some concern uh, room for concern among young people? Yes, I, I really do. When you see what they identify with in their conversation, in the way they dress, um, so some of the kids I see to see, the girls especially, they don't seem to identify as much with Mary Magdalene and Mary and the rest of those disciples as they do with who Madonna and uh, you tell where my knowledge is that even goes back a few years, so I'm not even up to date. But uh, people are aware that dress has an impact sexually. There's a lot of complaint from women now about men sitting in subways in chairs and they spread their legs. And pardon me, you can see their crotch and that's provocative. They think that's obscene. They shouldn't see it. And yet these girls wear these skinny jeans. And that's perfectly all right. Nobody's supposed to object to anything about it. When I see these tendencies to go along with the culture, that's my main concern about our young people today. Can we reach them? I think we can. Have we reached a lot? I think we have. Are the ones who are going to be faithful? They are. Are we going to lose some to the culture? Yes. But we've, we've got to get some consistency, some consistency in thinking. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God. Love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Teach these things to your children. Start there and get that developed in the love for God and we'll solve our problems. Well, one thing that popped into my mind and just this idea of uh, concern for young people is that, um, I don't know if concern is the right word, but it's it's been a topic that's always, God has always had it in his heart. And, and that's one of the exciting ideas that he expresses in Deuteronomy, in, in Deuteronomy chapter six, when he's talking about what you were saying, Dale, hear, O Lord, uh, hear o Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. And you should talk about him when you're coming in and when you're going out. You need to talk about him with your children. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of um, keeping this 
the great bigness of God before our eyes at all times. And then it shows up a number of times, but it does here in verse 20, when your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son. And God gives, in one sense, you could see God gives him a script, say these words. But if you simply say, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, if you just say these few words, you're not going to get every every one of your sons. That 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 might, you know, someone who's very interested in God is going to learn it right on the right on the cusp, and that's it and perfect. But what God is saying is your children are going to ask you questions. They're going to say politely, why do we do these wonderful things? And some of your children will say with irreverence and frustration because they don't want to get up early and uh, and go to temple on a Saturday. Why do we have to do this stuff? And and God is saying that you need to be there. You need to be there with 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 answers, with uh, with the the lifting up of God um, and not every scripted answer is going to be the greatest answer. And so there's going to be this connection that needs to be made so that you can connect your child, not with you, but with the Lord. And that, that really sets up a child for long-term connection with God, I think. Justin's got his hand up. I really, I, I, yeah, I buy into that idea wholeheartedly. I think it was Bob Waldron in one of his books, uh, he and Sandra, um, you know, the, the stones that they set up at Gilgal, you know, mm-hmm. they come out of the, the Jordan river and the illustration he gave is, you know, what if, what if you're passing that way and your son says, what are these stones? He's like, well, those, that's when we crossed over the Jordan river. It was a long time ago. Hurry up with those sheep. And you just, you know, make it just factual and you don't mm-hmm. really impress upon them the, uh, the beauty of it, the power of it versus, like a family that said, hey, let's, we're going to go camp out next to those stones so we can spend some time talking about, thinking about reliving. Or even if you're just passing by with the sheep, you, you really pause to answer the question. And so, you know, is the church dying? I, I think, Dale, you're right. It's not. Um, but maybe we should not be looking at the church for an answer. We should be looking at individuals and families to be um, propagating this i mean it's, it's on moms and dads uh, individual christians to keep this going scott you had a, a thought uh, go ahead to dan and then uh, I'm, i want to throw out two questions dan man it just it just okay yeah I, I remember it's it's little how many generations can look at those rocks and say literally those are the rocks we set up when we crossed the jordan it, it's not very long until the we isn't literal but it's figurative and for, for it to be we, God took me out of Egypt. Well, not me personally, I wasn't there. But um, to, to identify with, I was one of those, even though I hadn't been born yet. That's the connection that we're trying to communicate to our children so that when they grow up, and it's 100 years since their ancestors came out of Egypt, that child grows up and says, when the Lord brought me out. It's that personal identification that I think is really interesting that God um, is, is, is encouraging there in Deuteronomy. Yeah, and then the message is, and it took us 40 years to get to the point where we could build those stones, and here's why it took us 40 years. Yeah, yeah. That part of the lesson needs to be there also. Absolutely, absolutely. So, some of you have heard me say this before. I've seen families. I see one family 
Then the children show up Sunday morning for Bible study, Sunday morning for assembly, Sunday evening for assembly, Wednesday evening for assembly. They have a gospel meeting and they're there every night. I see another family and they're there Sunday morning for Bible study. They're there for assembly. They're there for Sunday evening assembly. They're there for Bible study. We have a meeting and they're there for every night. And the children in this family grow up faithful. And the children in this family don't. What's the difference? To the one being a Christian was going to church. But in the home, the conversations were worldly, activities were worldly, the vacations were the big things. Um, they didn't take interest in the gospel being preached. That, in other words, their religion was going to church. And mm -hmm. the other, Jesus Christ lived there. Amen. And he was a part of the decisions they made. He was a part of where do we work? Where do we, what are our activities? And that's what it's got to take. I'm going to Jonathan here, but I want to get back on this start young in just a moment. Jonathan, why don't you pick it up there? Uh, yeah, well, what you just said is kind of something that I've been thinking of and uh, reminds me of in 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, where Paul says, you know, evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse. But as for you, stick with what you have learned and firmly believed and, and how in verse 15, from early childhood, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise. Um, mm -hmm. One thing that I was thinking in a question that comes from that, I, I think it was Gary Fisher that I've heard make this point a few times. Uh, Gary is often involved in camps throughout the summer with uh, younger people, younger men, and, and just uh, younger kids in general. And one of the things that he has said is people can kind of have this idea or attitude about kids that like, you don't want to make it too hard for kids or too challenging. Um, and so you kind of like pull back and don't really you know, make them try to push themselves to learn and things like that. But Gary says, no, that's not true at all. Kids rise to the challenge and, you know, like, like give them challenges, give them high expectations. And they really thrive in that kind of environment. And that seems to be like what happened with Timothy um, earlier in, in second Timothy, he says, you know, your grandmother and your mother have taught you from early childhood. And later in chapter three, he says, you know, you've been acquainted with those. So Dale, my question is, like what approach have you noticed that has been effective in uh you know helping children even from an early age to learn and be challenged and grow and and develop their relationship with god while also still like you know i think kids need to be kids and and enjoy their their childhood but also need to come to know and grow and, and learn about god so like how do you balance that what, what advice can you give on that well you get to their idealism and and to do that you talk about the glories, you talk about the differences, you point out what is wrong and, and you compare the two and let them see the superiority of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that leads me into another thing I want to observe. Start young. I've seen parents that bring their children up and I'm not against Cheerios. I'm not against a little book for a child. <laughs> but when the Cheerios eating goes in to years above and when the books they bring to look at while the preacher's preaching, um, they, they'll sit there, look at their telephones. I mean, nine, 10, 11 years old, looking at the telephones, looking, reading another book and not paying attention. And I, I determined in this, I wasn't going to talk about my personal experience except for this one thing. My mother was a Christian, my father wasn't. He was a member of a certain denomination. And I can remember going to church with my mother and I had to sit there and listen to E.R. Harper, who was the first speaker on Herald of Truth. He preached at Fourth and State in Little Rock, Arkansas. But okay, I learned to tolerate that. But I learned that was expected of me. 
Um, and, and sometimes we don't get that across to children that that's expected. And then I would go with my dad. And, and as a young child, this is where I started school. And I was sent off to a room and they had a sandbox there and they had toys and things like that. And it was okay for the minute. But I can remember walking out on the sidewalk after that and thinking, you know, they're just not as serious. I don't know if it was this profound or these words, but the concept was, I don't know if they're as serious about their religion here as they are over there where my mother goes to church. So the idealism of, of that got to me. And where children grow up and, and they play with the toys, they read the books, they play with the telephones, they keep doing that and they keep doing that. And the whole idea, this stuff is for older people. And by the time it's for them to obey the gospel of Christ, they're just not interested. We never got into their idealism. Scott. We've got a question that's come in and I want to throw out these other two questions uh, as well. So there's going to be three questions here. Um, and so the question that came in, and I think we'll, cause it's going to start on to a bit of a new subject. So I'd like us to explore this other a little bit more, and then we can venture into this question. But the question is, uh, that we'll address a little later in the program. What are the rocks we can be setting up today? How are Christians getting involved in their communities locally? Shouldn't Christians need to be making a difference in town commissions, school boards, etc.? Uh, and then again, the same person wrote in, has our country slipped so far into darkness because Christians aren't shining their light in the community? So many in the Christian world feel Christians shouldn't be involved in politics, uh, the total complex of relations between people living in society. And so we're starting off talking about is the church dying? Uh, this gets into, is our culture dying, you know, in the world? And as lights of the world, we need to be concerned about the world, but we'll, we'll shift into talking about that in a minute, but we'll talk a few more minutes on this. The questions I wanted to ask are, what are some things, some symptoms to watch for? Um, so let's compare it to marriage. All of us have dealt with people that destroyed their marriages through adultery, right? Um, did it just suddenly happen? Everything was fine. And then suddenly somebody accidentally, you know, committed adultery. No, there were, there were telltale signs and mistakes and problems for there. Uh, so like I had a fellow tell me, it was very sad one time. This goes back to what dad said. He said, he said, all of my children, he said, I've got four children. Now they're all grown and not a single one is faithful. I don't know what happened. We took them to church all those years. And you can see the, the thing there. But if you're taking them to church, what are some of the signs that things are not going well before they've headed off to the university and they're not showing up for services and then they're, you know, declaring themselves to be this or that or, or, or something else? What are the signs to be looking for earlier that as parents, we can, you know, if our kid starts getting sick, we see symptoms and we react, right? What are some things to watch for? Well, lack of interest, not listening to the lesson, complaining, um, talking about things that are not spiritual, even in the assembly of Christians, that all the conversations worldly, a, a, a poster of a rock star on, on a child's bedroom wall, get the thing down. 
what that child is doing is saying, this is what I identify with. By that time, it's pretty late. If you've raised a child who identifies with that so that he wants that poster up there and that's what he identifies, you missed something. You didn't get him to identify with Jesus Christ, first of all. Um, you know, a lot of you know the Dredgers. You know the Dredgers because the gospel was their life. If there was a gospel meeting around within 100 miles, they went and they took their kids. Whole family showed up more than once. Um, and that's just what they did. And Lori said, as soon as her children rolled up to hold a songbook, she stuck a songbook in their hands. And so you didn't run into these negative things. The kids learned, I assembled with Christians. This is what we sing praise. We pay attention. We listen. And we've got to realize that young children do hear things in the sermon. Yes. You've had experience of some young child come up and saying something you're surprised that he heard, but he heard and he was listening. So if the child's not listening, if he's totally observed with his books, with his toys, with his Cheerios, that's a problem. Um, if you need those when they're very young, okay. Um, well, I know some stories about that I'm not going to get into. But <laughs> you watch their interest, you watch their response, you watch what they talk about, you watch what they identify with. And that's where you will get your first signs, what they identify with. Justin. Um kind of outside the assembly, uh, you know, some of us homeschool our children, some of us um, take our children to public school, private school. And um, but I think whether it's homeschooling or public schooling, being aware of their mental diet, um, because we're, we're saying that worship's important in what they take in during this time. They need to be taking it in, yes, but they're taking in other stuff too. And it's shaping the way they think about the world, shaping the way they think about life and themselves um and and that's one i have, I have three points one is just being aware of their diet mentally um two being thoughtful i would think about their idea of what success looks like yeah. um because education moves us in that direction where we're looking at becoming somebody and so what is the somebody i want to be and if that somebody that i want to be is not like jesus then i've got some problems and they should be seeing that in us um, but thirdly, um, you know, I, I grew up in a home where um, where we are right now, I have, uh, my, my siblings are not faithful to Christ. My, my father's fallen away uh, and you know, God, God has given them time. Maybe they'll have time to repent. Um, but looking back, what did we do not do? And one of the things that I think... Uh, hurt us the most was that we did not pray uh, hardly at all uh, unless it was mealtime. Uh, in fact, I remember a time uh, we finally got in the habit of, of praying in restaurants, but there was a time when even in restaurants, we would not pray together uh, at, at meals there. Um, but just having, having a, a regular time where you, you, are, you are praying with your children, um, Amos, my, my younger boy, we were working in the yard yesterday and he found a dead hornet. He wanted to bury it. Um, you think, well, it's a hornet. You're glad the thing's dead. <laughs> but, but it just, it really broke his heart. Um, and I thought, you know, that's, that's probably the right response is because death hurts God. And so we had a conversation while we're ripping up, you know, bushes um, about how God wanted this world to be different than it is. And so we, we buried the little thing and then we we prayed 
Um, and we, we pray that Jesus would come soon and uh, that he would defeat death ultimately. And then we got back to ripping up bushes. But you know, those, those little moments of prayer and focus on what is the success that God wants for his people, uh, that's got to be, I think, something that we get in their hearts. We've got a question that came in that's pertinent to what you're saying. What we've been talking about is, is what Christian parents can do with their children. But what if you obey the gospel late? You've got children who are 10, 11 years old when you come. Let them see the joy that is in your life. Let them see what that means to you. And bring them along so that they can understand why you have done what you have done. And, and you look at people in, in situations who grow up and they're not ideal situations. And yet somehow, somewhere, somebody got through to them and reached their heart. And they end up being faithful into being gospel preachers like Justin. So that all happens. And thank God for that. But what it is, that's still the word getting into the heart of the person. Um, in the parable of the sower, where there were the thorns that choked out the word, it was the care of the world. And where our, our concerns, we may go to church all the time, and that's the situation that I was talking about earlier, but yet the care of the world is our main concern in life. That's what the child is going to be concerned with. Prosperity is not necessarily a blessing. Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. They were prosperous, and both of them, Esau was just described as profane. The care of the world, he was concerned with the world. And Jacob was a supplanter. And really, when you think about, oh, Jacob, wonderful person. No, when you first read, you don't like him very much. But he he did. He contended with the word contend when he wrestled with the angel. You have what with God and with man. Um, you wrestled whatever it was that he did with God and with man. He cheated. He got cheated. But he put his faith in God, kept it there, and he grew into what he did. But David, in, in his prosperity as king, and he spoiled his children. Because when Tamar was being seduced by Amnon, she said, no, no, don't do this. Ask my father. He will not deny you. No, there are some things you deny your children. You have to learn to. And then when Absalom was going to have the feast, he invited his father, evidently knowing his father wasn't going to come. His father said, yeah, you guys go ahead and have you. I'm pretty. I'm... So David needed to have stayed in the lives of his children. He didn't. He evidently had spoiled them and they could have whatever they wanted. So don't think because you can give your child everything he wants that you're doing him a favor and that that's going to make him a great person. It did not. And all of these Bible characters that we can read about, wealth is not going to bind you to God. Possessing things is not going to bind you to God. Pleasures of this life are not going to bind you to God. Faith is going to bind you to God. And so if you come late, then let your faith be strong and teach your children that God. And I've, I've got a friend who came late to the Lord, but then uh, he and his wife became Christians. And then her conversion led eventually to her parents' conversion. And his conversion led to his mother's conversion. Everything. But like on what you were saying about David, uh, another one is Adonijah, his son, who when David's about to die, instead of him morning his father's about to die he just goes ahead and declares himself he's about to have himself declared king or does uh even though it's solomon it's supposed to be the king and the text says uh he did this and said i will be king and verse six of first kings one says his father never at any time displeased him by asking him why have you done thus and so yeah. so in that place he's being a worse father than eli 
Eli at least whined, you know, why are you doing that? But he didn't do anything to stop it. Yeah. Uh, David did, never even did that. So yeah, not being indulgent with our kids. Um, and if, they, if they're sitting on the back row, slumped down, looking at their phone, you know, and then, and then they go away and become unfaithful. Well, while they were home, they were going to church. Well, but they weren't, they weren't interested in God. They were in rebellion, just. And just real quick, I, I hope that none of our listeners are thinking that we're saying, take your teen's phone away from them and slap them on the back of the head so that they sit up straight in the front row of the auditorium. You know, that, that's, I don't know, maybe that needs to happen, but, but probably more of what Dale was saying is show them the joy yes. of worshiping the Lord and being with him. Um, you know, we, we want to motivate them, not just from a negative point of view, but also from the positive where we're serving Christ as an attractive thing. And part of that, and, and sometimes parents have realized this mistake later, is what happens after church. If you get in the car and the parents are complaining about the song leader, brother so-and-so, the sermon, you know, et cetera, et cetera, and they just see negativity among the brethren, what, what's going on with the three tykes in the back? What we do when we come out of church is we, yeah. He's got his hand up. Well, one thing that, uh, that that Dale, you were talking about earlier is uh, connecting and trying to appeal to their idealism. And if we are in a family situation where, where as an adult later in life, I, I recognize how much I need from God, and I come to God and I devote my life to God, and my children are are older; they're not these little babies that I um, uh, I haven't been influencing them in the wrong direction for a decade, maybe. How do I uh, undo my mistakes? How do I get them in the right direction? Uh, that, that's a complicated idea. Uh, and I think this connects to something we were talking about with parenting um, a few weeks ago, the idea of, of forgiving or asking for, for forgiveness. And it connects to the vulnerability that we need to express as adults. When we, um, when we admit um, our faults, or if we are in this situation, uh, you know, you might be trying to apologize for the past few years, I, I've been doing this wrong, but I'm trying to make my life right now. That's a very vulnerable position to put yourself in, but you're trying to communicate to your children um, this new light, uh, this new life that, that you see, and they're going to recognize, um, hopefully they can recognize dad is different now. Uh, my mother doesn't look at the things the same way anymore. Um, they might be able to say they're not doing a very good job at it yet, but they might be able to recognize that that new life. And that is the way that we can, again, appeal to that idealism or to that appreciation for what, for what can be good. Um, if we say, yeah, I, I need a Christ, and deep down inside, we recognize how vulnerable we were, but we still continue to have the strength facade. Um, now you need to go to church too. That's, that's just going to drive, drives anyone away from God. Um, our, our own inability to connect with the person is going to hurt their own connection with God. And so while we maintain our vulnerability before God and before our children and, and other people. That's really going to help them see how God can be helpful, um, even to a grouchy old dad who's trying to be different now. The children can see those differences. Yeah. Um, when a person apologizes for something he's done that is wrong, what he's saying is 
I love what is right. I'm concerned mm -hmm. for what is right. And that has a tremendous impact on a child. You're not showing weakness by apologizing. The child says, that's important. Look what it caused dad to do. We had a question come in about what if you've got, I don't know if it says what if you've got, but some husbands are weak and they're not helping. Okay, I'm going back to another personal example. My father was not a Christian. My mother and father didn't argue a lot. When they did argue, the only arguments I can remember them having was about religion. My father was four, I know I was 14 years old before my father obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ. By that time I had, and pretty soon my second brother had, and it, it was the faith of my mother that kept that going. I can remember times when uh, there was a little weakness through the years and it had an impact on me. But when she made up her mind that this is the way it's going to be and this is what it means to her and this is her faith and she would teach us at home besides taking us to church, she kept that going. All her three sons obeyed the gospel of Christ. Her husband obeyed the gospel of Christ. He became an elder and a teacher and served as an elder for over 45 years. You can put him in the weak category. I don't know weak, but certainly not the good category. But faith, the faith of mothers, persistent, mm -hmm. loving, is a tremendous, powerful thing. Mm -hmm. we got about six minutes left. Let's go to this other topic that uh, uh, somebody wrote us about. And that is how about Christians getting involved in the communities locally, uh, making a difference in in the in a town commission, a school board, et cetera. Um, uh, should to what extent is it beneficial and good for Christians, in other words, to be getting involved in public ways, trying to influence our communities? What you're saying is this old expression: "Get out of the salt shaker and into the world." We can't stay in our buildings and get everything done. We can bring people in and teach them. Uh, how far to get in politics? I don't know. There are many political positions. I don't know how a Christian can hold because of the compromises he's going to have to make. If he, makes, if he doesn't make them, he's going to be thrown out. But if you can go to school board like we've seen these past few months and stand up for what is right and just renounce everything that is being done in our schools today, that's certainly helpful. In the community, do what you can do, wherever you can shed the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, where you can convey the power of the gospel in your life and what you stand for, whether it's in a school board, whether it's in a school meeting, whether it's in some community service, um, do it. But you do it as a Christian and you're doing it not for yourself, you're not doing it for your power, you're doing it because this is good and you're concerned for what's right. Um, and so, okay, do what, in other words, with that question, get involved in what you can, but you, you're there as a Christian. You're not there as just a public servant. You're there as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, th that's gonna cost you some places. You're gonna get thrown out, okay. But where you have the opportunity to stand for right, stand for right. Maybe uh, an additional thought, but Jonathan's had his hand up for a little while. Yeah, and, and thinking about the, the community and just our culture, um, one of the things that I've noticed, uh, the, the draw of kind of worldly culture, or at least the, the facade that they put on, uh, or, or the, the kind of main message is like, we accept everyone, you can come in and find a place where you belong. And maybe a lot of like younger people that, that I've noticed um, that have left the left the Lord, 
uh, kind of have this attitude or feeling that, that like, uh, you know, the, the church is uh, full of, of bigoted, uh, hateful people that don't want to invite people in and not accept them where they are and that sort of thing. And so that's the draw of the community. That's the draw of the culture. Um, how can Christians deal with that? I don't know if that makes sense. I don't know the answer to that question. You got me to think along one line and I got the, the last part of this. But as preachers, we need to look at what is going on in the schools, which are cesspools. If we don't know their cesspools, we don't know what's going on. Talk to children, see what they're running into, see the language, see the things that the other children talk about. Deal with those things, not as attacking children, but to show the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ compared to the darkness and the ugliness of what this world stands for. And you're getting through to their idealism and you're giving them something to stand for. And you're helping to in, entrench goodness. In the, I can remember in the 70s, um, miniskirts were the rage. Um, and there were girls who were wearing miniskirts to church. And a, a preacher has to teach on modesty. And uh, many stories I can tell, I'll tell this one. Finally, someone came and said, Dale, why don't you give it up? You're not having any impact. Any impact. I said, yes. I am having impact. There are two, three that are not changing, but I'm giving some backbone and some courage and support to those who are not dressing like that. And I, I was expressed, those kids gave me, they expressed appreciation for me standing like that and backing them up, even though there were some who were trying to set a bad example. So uh, find out what's challenging these children, teach on that, giving them support. They really need it. Here's a, no, go ahead, Justin. Well, I, I know we're getting close to out of time, but you know the question initially about what rocks do we set up, sort of like Gagal, um, and then is the culture, the world is too far gone. I think both those questions intersect uh, maybe in this way. I think we need to remember um, what our Gilgal is. Um, th there are uh, different things that we can be doing to set up memorials, things that we remember God did this great thing in our lives. Uh, he, he saved this marriage. He turned this family around. He saved this community. But but he saved the world through Jesus. And I think if we try to add anything more to that, uh, we're really detracting from it. Um, the, the fall of the Roman Empire, the corruption of the world in the first century was not a sign of weakening Christians or the lack of their influence uh, or them not shining their lights in the world. Uh, we're, we're not going to make the world a brighter place necessarily. It is a dark world, um, but we still need to shine our lights. So that's going to look like different things in different situations. I don't know that we can put a, a finger on exactly what that looks like, but I think we just need to be thoughtful about how we're not trying to make the world a better place. We're trying to show Christ. I think we're, tr but in showing Christ, that does make the world a better place. It does. It's an evil world, Galatians 1, and we're to be lights to the world. And that happens one person at a time. We got uh, a comment here. It's even better to get Bible studies with non-Christians. And each time uh, somebody deserts Satan's army and comes to the Lord's army, that's made the world a little bit better of a place. 
but we're not going to be able to totally change the world. Uh, and we're not going to be able to convert everybody. Between the two things, if you've got an opportunity to bring one person out of sin to Christ or influence the school board that night, you know, to ban this book, uh, get the person out of sin to Christ. But I tell you what, if it does, it's not wrong to be concerned about your street uh, at the school, you know, throughout the minor prophets in the Old Testament. It's concerned about the vulnerable, like the widows and the orphans and stuff. And there's a lot of fatherless children going to school and being taught, in some cases, by pedophiles, and in some cases, perhaps groomed. And, you know, if, if you have an opportunity to take a stand and help something be better for vulnerable people in a community, that's not wrong to do. But that it's it, when you when you make a little progress on a point in, in, in that kind of public arena, that's good. But that hasn't brought people to Christ when you bring a sinner out of selfishness into submission to God, that's a whole bigger thing. So I don't think well it's said. or I think it's a remembering which is more important. But preaching on cultural sin is helping our young people. And remember, God got kind of concerned with Nineveh and Jonah went and worked on them. Yeah, yeah true, true that. All right. I think we're out of time. Jonathan, want to wrap it up? Thank yeah, you, so yeah, so thank you guys for your discussion. Thank you, Dale, for uh, for joining us uh, today and and giving your insights and some of those questions. Uh, if anybody in our audience has any more questions or uh, concerns about that topic or anything else you'd like us to discuss, again, you can visit our website biblequest.tv and you can leave your contact information and your question there, and we'll be happy to get back to you or address those on future shows. So, again, thank you, all, thank all of you guys. Again, thanks, Dale, uh, and thank you to our audience. Um, we do have one more question in uh, from uh, Claudia that I'm just seeing right now. Uh, let me read this really quick. I didn't read it. Well, I can read it out loud. Uh, the authorities now prevent us from teaching the right values to our children. So they accused us and penalize once we teach what's right, uh, especially in the school system and modern society. I've been called a narcissistic mother. Some kids lie in order to live the life that they want. Uh, I don't know if the authorities can't yet stop us from teaching our children although in some places and in california they're calling dss on you if you don't um use your child's preferred pronoun that's even happened but uh and if certain people get their way there'll be more of that but if that happens acts four and acts five when the sanhedrin tells uh, the apostles stop preaching about Christ. What's the answer? Must serve God rather than men. Must obey God rather than men. All right. Thanks for that, Scott. And thank you all. Um, and that's all that we have. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. That's all that we have for this week. Um, and so we'll look forward to seeing seeing everyone uh, next week. Lord willing.